Welcome to the Mogul Marathon Real Estate Podcast. We highlight keen investment insights and strategies so you can become a real estate mogul. Here's your host, Yannick Kujo Virgin. Hey guys, welcome back to the Mogul Marathon Real Estate Podcast. I am super excited to have our guest today. My name is Yannick Kujo Virgil. I'm your host. And our guest today is Shadzilla Jones Jennings. Now, Shad is a retired professional basketball player. He previously played for the Philadelphia 76ers and has graced the hardwood of Germany, France, and Mexico. And so now he's a successful real estate developer and entrepreneur focusing on markets in Georgia and Tennessee. And Rashad also has a nonprofit called Post Pro Cares, whose mission is to help athletes transition from sports by understanding the importance of creating generational wealth through investing. Shad, welcome to the show. Hey, how you doing, man? Appreciate you having me, Yannick. Hey, before we get started, it's Shadzilla. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. Shadzilla, Shadzilla. No, that's fine. People have been, been doing that all my life. It was it's either Rashid, Rashad, Rashad with two A's, but it's all good. Yeah, you know, sometimes we, we tend to jump to nicknames sometimes, so yeah. Shadzilla. Okay, I know you and I met on Clubhouse a few years ago when Clubhouse was a thing, I guess. (laughs) People, you know, it's a little, I think it kind of died off a little bit, but, you know, just hearing about you and your background and everything that you've been through from the transition to real estate from professional athletics, give our listeners today a little bit about the backstory and insight of who you are and how did you get to where you are today? Man, backstory on Shazilla. Well, from Chattanooga, Tennessee, originally, you know, I played basketball growing up, played all types of sports, grew up in a, you know, pretty rough neighborhood, um, was able to make it out and through basketball, get a scholarship. Um, I actually went to school on an academic scholarship and walked on and built my way up to a sports scholarship. Played eight years professional basketball, retired in uh, 2015 at the age of 30, unexpectedly due to injury. So I had to figure it out. And, you know, when I retired in 2015, um, I was while I was playing, I was reading books and just researching stuff on what I could do because I knew coaching was there. Coaching is always going to be there. I was turning down coaching jobs and people were thinking I was crazy because it's like, man, you know, because the real estate hadn't got off the ground yet. I'm starting from ground zero in the real estate, but I stuck with it, stuck with it. I knew that it was only a matter of time. It was never if it was always when. And, you know, I've been doing real estate ever since. Started out as a realtor. Worked my way up to a broker, started flipping houses, started wholesaling, then started building single houses. And, you know, now I'm doing um, full-fledged development deals. And, you know, here we are, just just constantly chipping away, just constantly chipping away. Like, I got a sports background and a sports mentality. I always say, you know, if you're down 20 points in the fourth quarter, are you going to lay down and get beat by 40? Or you gonna always you going to chip away and try to get it down? Let's get it down to seven with five minutes to go. Let's get it down to four with three minutes to go. Like always just having that figured out mindset and the attitude I took with real estate. That's great, man. Especially in the world of real estate where if you're really out here doing deals, you're taking punches. You know, I've never oh, yeah. had a deal that just went smooth. Like things just happen. It's just a part of the business and you really have to have that adversity behind 
behind you. You really have to have that tenacity to push forward when things can be out of your control. So I think just from your sports background and everything that you've been through and the situations that you have played under is easily translatable into the real estate space. So talk a little bit about that transition, right? Because you and I have, you know, similar backgrounds. We, you know, I, I wasn't in the NBA, I was in the NFL, but the struggles of transitioning is still the same, right? The mental aspect, just transitioning to a whole different environment and mindset in the world. Like talk a little bit about that for our audience today to really know about why athletes struggle when transitioning out of the game. Right, man. That transition definitely is crucial because, you know, different people go through different things. And myself, I, me personally, I, I had to retire due to injury. So yeah, I, my, my body was done, but mentally my mind is like, let's still try to play. So it was, it was, it was a lot of frustration, you know, a lot of disappointment and that still want to play, still seeing my peers playing, you know, wondering why I was the one to get injured or why did I have to get injured? You know, my transition was pretty, it was smoother than most because I, you know, I, I knew my body was wearing down. So I ended up getting my real estate license while I was still playing, just trying to set everything up. And that's what I do now when I'm talking to athletes that still playing and ones that's retired. You want to, we're not going to play forever, even though we, we think we are, you know, every day you play, you one day closer to retirement. Both of my injuries freak act like it really, nothing happened. One, one time I was running down the court, my knee, my meniscus popped, no contact. And then the second one, I was in Mexico doing a three-on-three drill. Again, no contact, major shot came down, the other one popped. It was really nothing that I could do. And that's why I'm trying to relate to athletes, no matter what you do. It's always these freak things that happen that's out of your control. But what you can control is the preparation. So my transition, you know, when I, once I retired, I just started going into the office. My frustration and everything is because I still wanted to play, not because I didn't have any more options, because I had options, which was the real estate. That was my fallback. But um, the transition could be tough, man. I had friends, you know, contemplating suicide, Mm -hmm. friends just depressed, running out of money, you know, just don't know how to turn the corner because we're so used to one thing. You know, you think it's going to last forever, but it's not. But Yeah. And did you have that mentality of like, I'm going to play 10 years at least? Oh, yeah, man. You know what's funny? It seems, like seems like all professional athletes like have like that 10 year mark. I just want to play 10 years at least. It's like there's a pedestal when you hit 10 years that everybody wants to hit. Right. And, you know, I thought I was going to play forever, but still preparing in the background. But, you know, that got derailed. But, you know, as far as the transition goes, you know, just make sure you're setting up planting seeds and setting up. I'm big on, you know, I tell athletes now, when you're coming home in the summer, find someone to intern that you want to, you know, you want that to be your second passion. You know, it don't have to be real estate. It could be whatever. You could be an artist. Like we all have other gifts. You know, it's just not you're the best linebacker. I'm the best rebounder. Yannick, I don't know. I'm just making this up, but you may have a talent in music or, you know, artistry or, you know, anything like that. But it's time to tap into those second passions or, you know, these other skills and hobbies that, that we have. They're there. Mm-hmm. We just got to tap into them. We just been so laser focused on trying to be the best that we kind of forget about them. Yeah, no, that's, that's a hundred percent real. I know for me, that was my mentality up until I got injured. And a lot of times folks in the NFL or NBA or just professional athletes in general, to be that great, to get to that level, like you have to have that dedication to your craft. 
Mm-hmm. There's very few people who can just, and you know, you and I know there are some athletes who could literally go drinking the night before and just, then jump out the gym the next day. Yeah. Right? But for the most part, to get to that level, you have to have that dedication. And for people who are, you know, let's say the NBA or the NFL, a lot of those athletes are inner city kids, right? And they just trying to put food on the table right? and get to that contract. So I've seen a lot of times people tend to start thinking about that life after when something happens, either it's you can't get back into the league or you get some sort of career ending knee injury. Mm -hmm. Right. But the ones who are able to get it early on in their career are the ones who are able to either transition a little bit smoother or have things set up to when the game actually does end. They're well prepared for that. Right. Right. Because it will end and it's, it's inevitable. And another thing too, that I always want to tell these athletes because I know everybody, hey, I got I got my financial manager. I got this guy. I got that guy watching my money. But that's fine. But are you checking on them watching your money? Like, we don't heard too many of these stories that, hey, my financial advisor took $5 million from me. Or Kevin Garnett, I think it was $70 million. I don't know how you take your eyes off $70 million, but I think that was his number over time. So just being vigilant and just knowing, like, right now I just started a $10 million fund. And one of my things is, and I learned this from a lady named Till, who does this also, a fund for athletes, but it's just not give me your money and go. I want to teach you what's going on so, you know, there's really no gray area because it all boils down to education. Yeah, 100%. So let's talk about that transition to real estate. And I know you are doing a ton of different deals. Our listeners would love to learn a little bit more about your overall real estate strategy. You know, are you buying for cash flow today? You know, what's your deal flow looking like right now? Talk about transition into what you're doing now today. Oh, yeah. So I actually just switched it up. At first I was doing, and this was a part of the plan. So my initial plan was to flip for a couple of years, stack up capital and then hold, you know, buy and hold for, for the long term. So from here on out, after I get this one subdivision sold, I'm working on another subdivision where we're building 40 houses, but those will be built to rent. So from here on out, I'm not selling anything from the car wash to the retail strip center, anything else, unless it's already on the market right now. I'm not selling anything moving forward. So the strategy is coming to fruition to what I initially wanted to do, which was flip in the beginning and get to a point where you can just hold everything from here on out. I'm curious, right? Why did you change that strategy from flipping to buy and hold? Because there's a lot of people that have that mindset of I'll just, you know, work my way up and flip and then flip and flip and build a capital. But there are opportunities, maybe like the fund you're creating to partner with people to get bigger deals done and grow your real estate business? I mean, honestly, and I knew this day one, but I wanted to do my own strategy because I needed to get more capital to do the type, how big I want to go. I knew I had to get more capital and then I can leverage that. But, you know, you should never, I I was at the courthouse steps one time buying houses and a lady was like, never sell your children. She's referring to the houses. So it's like, you know, never sell the assets. So from, but I I study a lot of Sam Zell, if you heard of him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, too, when I flip these houses, it's really because I, I came in as a broker and brokering that commission lifestyle. Flipping is similar to that. Right. You're only as good as your last check. Once you flip a house, you got to flip another one. You know, you really have a real estate related job. You know, it's, it's energy intensive. And once you sell it, you know, you don't have any collateral. So 
prime example, I went into the bank, tried to get a million dollars line of credit. I had my ex proof of experience, but they don't want to hear about the houses you don't have anymore. <laughs> they don't. They want to. They don't want to hear about what you sold. You you could have sold a hundred houses. They don't care. But if I would have came in there with a hundred houses in a portfolio, they'd be like, okay, if he defaults, we got collateral. You see what I'm saying? So it's multiple layers to why going the cash flow route makes more sense. Another prime example, when I flip, let's say I'm paying 30% tax rate, right? I'm only getting 70% anyway. I might as well refinance, pull the 70% out. <laughs> yeah, and don't have to pay taxes because it's a loan and keep the property. You know what I'm saying? So all those factors came into play from switching up the philosophy, but I will say it's been the plan from the day one to do it this way. Yeah. That's a hundred percent true, man. I think that's something in this business that people, people don't specifically in the world of private equity, right? When you're doing larger transactions and you're trying to elevate your business is that even on the private equity side, you know, the way you get paid is on the front end, your acquisition fee, then you have your, some sort of capital transaction fee, even either when you refinance or when you sell the property and to actually turn these properties around, it takes time and development, right? You're doing development right now. That stuff takes time. Right. So the cash flow in between holds you, right, to pay different bills, to pay right. other expenses on other properties. And that's something that's exactly what hit me when I got into this game and did a couple of flips a few years ago was the same thing, was that I was flipping these houses and then looking at it and saying, hold on, I'm paying taxes, short-term capital gains, right? I could have right. just refied. You know, maybe pull some cash out and just held the property. The net I probably would have made would have been like 20000 But when you take a look at it from a building wealth perspective over time, I mean, buying whole real estate, it's where it's at. Right. And speaking of that, that cash flow, you know, point that you just made, that's why I got the car wash. Because mm -hmm. we're doing these long-term deals, long-term development deals. Flips could take six to eight months. Then in this market, it's sitting longer. And then you got holding costs, you know, you got interest only payments if you're doing hard money. But what this car wash will do, it'll make, it's a liquid business. Like the cash every day is coming in. So that was my solution to having these long drawn out deals. Like, hey, how can I create some consistent cash flow? So the car wash was the solution. It's not anything that I thought of, but the way I got to the car wash was I, just, I went driving for dollars and I found some land and there was a car wash on it previously. So what I was going to do, I was going to build a big, a strip center right there, but I ended up getting a plot next to it. So me and my architect sat down and instead of doing just one big strip mall, he was like, hey, let's do a strip mall on this plot of land. And on what a car wash was, let's build a car wash back. So that's what I did. And the car wash that I just got on Monday that was already freestanding I got that so the competition couldn't get it because it's less than a mile away from the one I'm building. Mm -hmm. So that was a chess move to get the one that I got on Monday. So the competition couldn't open up shop. I'd rather compete with myself. That's a great play right there. And that's a great segue because I was going to ask you next about, you know, I've, I've been seeing you do car wash deals. And obviously that's not a sexy asset class, right? That's not like multifamily where you see a lot of pretty pictures like like, how do you operate a car wash? Can you like kind of break it down? Like, how is that a cash flow producing asset? Well, it produces cash, you know, just by nature. But what I'm doing with the cat, I mean, with the car wash is I'm taking it 100 percent digital. I did a lot of studying on this, went to a couple car wash shows, talked to a lot of guys who has been in the business 20 plus years. 
And the thing I'm looking at is everybody does it the same way that they did it 40, 50 years ago. You know, you got to go collect the quarters. You got buckets of quarters. You got to go collect the money. You got to hope you don't get robbed. And my thinking was, oh, and then you got the break-ins. People trying to break in, doing $10,000 worth of damage, trying to steal $300 worth of quarters. My strategy is I'm taking the whole thing digital. Memberships and credit card only. So I want memberships only. That's going to take some of the hands off off of it. I got my uncle's a property manager. He's going to be working with the repair guy, you know, make sure everything's running smooth and everything, you know, and then I got an internal property management team that's going to be helping as well. But the thing about it is just changing up the, the old way of doing things. So, I mean, that's how it's going to be, you know, generating cash flow. You know, weekly, it could bring anywhere from three to $5,000 a week. Wow. So, I, I want to dive into that a little bit more. So when you say membership, are you talking about from a consumer perspective, they are they have a membership to use the car wash or more so on the other side for from like an R&M perspective of, you know, having someone repair all the machines and do some sort of revenue split. Can you dig into that a little bit more? Well, yeah, when I say memberships, I mean, that it's going to be an app, you know, that they can come scan. Like when I'm going through to get my car washed, I can scan it. It'll automatically take it out. You get a certain amount of washes per month. And basically, I can communicate with my customers. And this is what I'm saying about bringing a car wash up to today's standards. When I, when, when they're doing it the cash way, you don't have any communication with your customers. You can't talk to them. You can't, you can't text them specials. You can't give holiday deals or it's, it's no, you're at the mercy of them just showing up. But this way I got control of it. I can text each customer. I know each customer, how many car washes they had. I know how long they've been, you know, a member. It's just more control. And that's the way, you know, business is going now. Basically, every time you sign, you go to a store, they get you to sign up. They want to be able to contact you. And that's the new way we're doing things. So that's one of the ways I know that my, the car wash is going to be, successful is because for one i have control to talk to the to the people if you're interested in passively investing in high quality real estate opportunities then join our investor group at merlin m-e-r-l-y-n-n acquisitions.com slash invest for direct access to carefully vetted real estate opportunities or head over to the show notes and click the link to join now let's get back to the show that's a great play. I mean, just using the opportunities that we have today from a digital marketing perspective or just a marketing perspective, right? From, like you said, getting that email list, whether it's either nurturing them, giving them specials, staying top of mind. I mean, the old ways of car washing where you just put in the quarters a little right. bit outdated, right? But you're leveraging technology to not only create this seamless sales process or the seamless experience, right? Because people value experiences and that's how you get that repeat business, right? I've never had a bad experience at Chick-fil-A, for example. Have you had a bad experience at Chick-fil-A before? No, I haven't, man. And, and <laughs> a quick little story and then we get back on yeah. track. One time I went to Chick-fil-A, this is how I knew they was different. One time I went to Chick-fil-A, I was coming from the gym. I forgot my wallet. I get to the window, you know, I'm getting ready to pay. I'm reaching for my wallet. I'm like, man, Oh man, I forgot my wallet. And I'm about to pull off. Like, I'm not asking yeah. for the food. I'm like, oh, I just got to come back. She's like, no, 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 no. Here, here, take it. Take it. Don't worry about it. I was like, for yeah. real? I really care about you. <laughs> yeah, I was like, thank you. <laughs> you, know, like, you know, but that's the way like businesses stand out. Like, I was literally about to pull off. Like, man, I just got to come back. And she was like, no, no, here, take it. 
But that's just yeah. the difference, though. Yeah, yeah, no, that's it's a very updated and better way to create that experience. And like I said, people value that. But let's dive into that 29-unit microhome development project that you're working on. I've seen you posted on social media. I'm very interested in learning more about, you know, why do you think that microhomes are such a great investment in today's environment, given obviously the affordable housing crisis that we're experiencing across the country? A couple of things, man. A lot of people are more, they're more in tune with their um, global footprint, being minimalist and things like that. And also too, that you mentioned affordable housing, the average sales price in Atlanta is around four hundred to five hundred thousand. I think it's five hundred the last I saw it, but that's up double from when I first started in real estate. You know, when I first started in real estate, the average sales price in Atlanta was around two forty. You know, with a two hundred and forty thousand dollar approval, that was a good day. Now with a two hundred forty thousand dollar approval, man, anything under three hundred is a war zone. You gotta compete with foreign money, you gotta compete with institutional money, and then you gotta compete with other investors. And then, you know, the homeowners come in last. So this isn't a product that hedge funds and everybody are buying up right now. So these 29 units, we were able to get 29 families, not families, but 29 homeowners to become homeowners at a reasonable price. Yeah. So this is a for sale project. Yes. Yes. This is this is for sale. But yeah, I'm pretty sure we'll get into this later. But I'm also doing a 40 unit build of rent up in Tennessee. But this one is for sale. It's 100% sold out. I mean, it's going to be a great project. Yeah, that's awesome. So talk about the acquisition process. And, you know, how did you find the land? I know that prior to us getting on the show that you were talking about, you just finished some horizontal development on the project. You know, talk a little bit about the acquisition and the financing of how you were able to put that deal together. So putting the deal together, man, it was, it's funny, man, because we actually got the deal from a wholesaler, right? So we bought the deal from a wholesaler. So I'm doing my due diligence on the project. I know what the wholesaler is asking is overpriced, but in the back of my mind, I'm like, if I can get this rezoned, it don't matter what I pay for it. So, mm. so the wholesaler was racing against the clock because he had a timeline with the seller. We had a date to close. What our financial team pulled out the day before closing, pulled wow. the rug out from up under us the day before closing. So we got to scramble. I remember having an un- uncomfortable call with the wholesaler. They didn't want to extend. They, they thought we was BSing. We like, man, we not BSing. Our guys pulled out. We'll find somebody else. Give us six days. I had to raise another 250000 in six days, which I did, me and my partner. And, you know, we just, we got it done. We closed on it. Yeah. Uh, and then we started getting all the entitlements from the city and, you know, going going through the process like that, getting the rezoning, getting the variances. Um, because Tiny Homes is a unique project. None, none of the stuff that we're doing is in the city ordinance. We have to want to convince the city that this is a viable product that people want, that that we're the real deal. It's like we just, it's just a lot of convincing because I remember having a pre-application meeting with the city inspector and that's the mm-hmm. person that you got to please outside of the other city council members. So we sit in a meeting and he said, why don't you just do townhouses? I said, we could do townhouses. I'll get paid just the same, but we wouldn't be solving any problems. See, I'm here to solve problems. You know, we could throw up some more townhomes. The people locally in College Park wouldn't be able to afford them. Because I don't know if you know, but the city of College Park only have a 25% ownership rate. 75% mm. of that city is renters. And the mayor, the mayor is behind this 29-unit project too because she wants more homeowners in the city of College Park because real estate is one of the building blocks of wealth. You know, so we got to kind of push that. That same build-to-rent project that I'm doing in Tennessee, 
I wouldn't bring that to College Park because the type of developer I am, I go into a city and ask, find out what they need. You know, whatever you need, I can put the team together and we can bring what you need. So that build a rent, you know, community, I wouldn't bring that to the mayor of College Park. But city of Chattanooga has a different set of needs. They're 5,000 units short on affordable housing or just housing, period. So, you know, my little 40 homes that I'm building won't even put a dent in what needs to be done. But, you know, it's on a case by case basis is what I'm trying to say. You, you got to see what the city needs and bring them what they need. And that's another thing that I do, too. When I'm getting ready to go into a city that I'm unfamiliar with or this is my first time doing it or a county, because you can be 50 miles down the road and be in a different county. They got a whole different set of rules. I'll go to the, the meeting before I'm scheduled to come just to see the vibe, just to see mm-hmm. what they're telling the other people, like what they want to see in the city. So now when I show up, I'm showing up prepared and more prepared than most because I took that extra step to come to one of the other meetings that, you know, other people, that other developers are having. Yeah. And, that, and that's called preparation. That's part of your background. That's part of how you got to the league, right? Is by preparing, <laughs> studying that film, knowing where others I'll messed say- up. And just applying that same, that a different game plan because you know what to do and what not to do. And you know how to put your X's and O's together to make it happen. I mean, it's amazing. That's really good stuff. Right. And that's another thing that I talk about when I'm talking to athletes that, that are, that feel like they stuck, man, we have transferable skills. We just got to tap into them. See what I did right there with the city council. That was nothing more than watching film. And I'm big on that because like if we're playing a game, and, you know, we in film study. I'm trying to find out what you like to do and what you don't like to do. And I'm going to push you to make you do what you don't like to do. And I always say that if somebody don't want to watch film study on me, you dead in the water. Because by the time you figure it out, 10 points yeah. in, I got five rebounds and it's the first quarter. You know yeah, what I'm saying? And you're in the head at that point. Yeah. And then you play from behind, you know. And But I always try to find all the different advantages. Like when people be falling asleep in film, I'm not going to say I love film, but I'm locked in on film because now it's like, how can I make this guy average go down this week when he play me? Like you're not going to get your average when you play me. You got to make it up somewhere in the schedule. You know, so I'm locked in on film and and that's like a transferable skill. And that's what I'm talking about with with the athletes. We got to be able to tap into those because we have them. You just got to find them. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. That's so great. I'm getting excited from just hearing your story and just hearing how you're able to leverage those skills to just apply it and be a successful developer that you are today. And especially being able to have the intentionality behind figuring out what the area wants in development. Because a lot of times people that may be newer to the game of development, they are just trying to get their project done, right? But it doesn't work like that when you have a community that has an input and you have political figures that also have an input as well. You have to know exactly how to get to a point where the project is economically feasible, but also you are satisfying the needs of the local community. Really great stuff about how you're able to get that project moving. So how did you finance this transaction? From start to finish, what does that capital stack kind of look like? So the capital stack that I use on this 29-unit microhome development project, I got a private lender to buy the land. She bought the land outright. She had a first lien position. Then we pre-sold the units and got deposits, non-refundable construction deposits from all the buyers. We used that money to 
to pay off the land, pay off the first lien holder. So now we own the land free and clear. And then we use that money for the horizontal of the project. And now we're looking to bring in another one or $2 million from an institution to go with the vertical construction. Yeah, that's really good creative financing. That's amazing. I'm sure that project is really going to benefit a lot within the community that need housing in today's environment. You and I are both in the housing space, right? And we are able to generate wealth and generate income from it, but also provide good housing to people that are in need. So I definitely want to ask you a question. Tell me about a time where you felt stuck and frustrated in your journey. You know, maybe you had to go through some breakthrough moment. Maybe it was something that you dealt with. You know, maybe our listeners are going through the same struggle today and can learn from, you know, how you overcame a certain struggle or a breakthrough moment to get to where you are today. Man, I think my breakthrough moment was, man, I got injured in 2012. And the doctor said I was going to be out for 16 weeks. I ended up being out for 18 months. I had a setback. And for those 18 months, you know, I really got to realize a lot. My phone stopped ringing. A lot of people stopped coming around. I, I just, it was just a whole different experience because you're so used to being a man and being able to move around and, now I got to go to rehab and, you know, it's just things tightening up, you know what I'm saying? So it just, that was, that was like a breakthrough moment. And, and that was in 2012 where I created Post Pro. So I created Post Pro magazine where I was interviewing current and retired athletes and just highlighting the businesses that they own and life after the game and life after, after sports. One of the main people that I interviewed was Deion Sanders, primetime. That was big for me at the time, you know, prime time. He, we met him at, he was doing his charter school and we met him down there and, you know, he did the interview for us and, and it was, it, it was pretty big, but I ended up getting back on the court. You know, then when I retired in 2015, I rebranded Post Pro, you know, to the real estate, which is what I was doing now. So that was pretty much my breakthrough moment, man. I mean, Post Pro's, that was, it, it birthed the company that you see now because it was like, man, what I'm going to do? You know, because I really didn't. The reason, one of the reasons why I didn't want to coach, because I still felt like I should be playing. It's like breaking up with a girlfriend, and you gotta, you gotta see her every day at work or something. Like, you know, so like, I don't want to be. A that's a great right analogy. Now. I want to no, be in the gym right now. You know. What I'm yeah, saying? yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that, that's that's uh, man. That's you're you're hitting so many spots right now. For me, you know, I had multiple knee injuries. Had six surgeries on my right knee oh. to date for my injury from the NFL. Being injured, man, is probably one of the most depressing moves that you could be in because it's like you can't do anything, right? You want to be on the field so bad, and then you have your, you know, you have the coaches that walk by and they make the little slick comments, you know, and they might be joking, but you know, there's a seriousness to every joke. And you know, you with me, you know, I came in as an undrafted free agent, and I worked my way up on a roster, right? And just having those organizational changes, like after my first year, we got someone from the the Patriots. I think he's currently the GM now. And everybody was shook and everybody is trying to figure out, you know, is he going to bring this like revolving door culture from Patriots? And it was just a whole bunch of like emotions just kind of going through, you know, the rehab process. But, you know, fortunately, in your case, you were able to take that those experiences and, and that tenacity and that hustle and become successful in real estate. So really good transition there from being in the NBA to, you know, becoming a real estate developer. So if you had to start, you know, this marathon all over again, what would you do differently that you think would contribute to your success? You mean, you mean overall or business? Or just- overall, overall in real estate, the real estate marathon. If I would do it differently, I would be investing in real estate while I'm still playing. 
Like I will be making sure that I'm planting seeds. So when I'm playing, it's not like, oh, like, like the flipping scenario and the commission scenario. It's the same thing with these checks, these active income checks. It's a big check in NFL, NBA, MLB, whatever you may be playing. It's a big check, but once it stops, it stops. But you can do a big flip, but you can't live off that forever. But the cash flow, you can. It's going to allow you to eat forever. So it's the same thing. Just start planting those seeds, planting those cash flow seeds, you know, because right now that active check is coming. But soon the active check going to stop and you're going to need that passive income. And then one day you're tired and, and, you know, because as athletes, man, we put a lot on our bodies. One day you're not going to be able to get up and go. So you need to, you need to be planting seeds on the journey. Yeah. Again, a lot of people don't really get it until some, some sort of life event happens. Either they get hurt or they get released earlier than expected. But I think there is hope for athletes who are in today's generation where they have a bunch of different things on YouTube and there's a lot of content out there about you know the transition and just being able to not just associate yourself with just one thing, football, flooring into other opportunities. And athletes are getting paid a lot of money off the field now, you know, with brand partnerships and the emergence right. of like things like TikTok. And it's just so many revenue opportunities. I'm really uh, excited for the new generation of athletes. So talk about your book that's coming out that, you know, is going to be a really good tool for athletes who are coming out of retirement. Yeah, man, the transition blueprint is coming out for strictly for athletes, just have, helping them transition. And also outside of athletes, of course, that's my main vehicle that I'm talking to, my main you know audience, but also it's going to help everybody that's going through a transition. Not only athletes, people transition from prison system back into society, people transition from jobs, from corporate America, people homeless um, transition, you know, from homeless trying to get back on your feet. So this book is going to be able to help a lot of uh, vet veterans, military veterans, people just coming back into civilization. Because I spent a lot of time overseas. I spent the, most of my 20s outside of college over living overseas. And, you know, it's, it's a different vibe coming back. Like when I came back over here, it was like, man, it was just so different. Like I was homesick from being here, not being over there. You know what I'm saying? It, it was it was a big adjustment. You know what yeah. I'm saying? But uh, and I feel like that book is gonna help people transition because I had a couple friends that was locked up in a prison system. And I was always sending books through Amazon. You know other people's books, and I'm like, man, I'm sending. It's nothing wrong with me sending them these books, but I'm like, I need to be sending them my book. So that's when I was like, I'm gonna start working on this transition blueprint. That's amazing. So do you have a date to when it's when it's coming out? I say I'm shooting for Christmas time. A little okay. before. Uh, yeah, so everything's already pretty much laid out. True life stories. It's going to be a lot of real life events, real life experience and, and things like that. And just help just helping with the transition, you know, whether it's you want to come into real estate or whether you want to go into coaching or what, whatever it is. It's just showing you those steps, like how to set up a business, you know, different, different little stuff, man, that, that's going to help that because everything always leads back to each other how to get an LLC, how to get an EIN, how to get a business bank account, how to get business credit. You know, all of that is connected to, you know, whatever business you want to start because you'll need yeah. working capital to be able to operate. So things like that would be in the book and definitely, you yeah. know, 
you know, how to transition smoothly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's amazing. I'm excited to to get my copy, you know, share it around people who are, like you said, regular people who are transitioning out of anything out mm-hmm. of life. So that's super excited to to see the book when it comes out later on this year. So Shadzilla, if our listeners are interested in following what you're doing in the real estate space, what's the best way for our listeners to, to follow you and get in touch with you if they have any follow-up questions or they just want to invest with you as well? Yeah, so Post Pro Shadzilla on YouTube, and Instagram, Shazil on TikTok, and Rashad Jones is on LinkedIn. If you want to invest with me, just simply go to my website, www.postprocapital.com forward slash invest. And that'll take you right to our investor portal. You'll be able to see all the deals that we have all the deals that are current that we're looking to raise money for. And, you know, it's, it's a pretty smooth process. Good stuff. Well, uh, Shadzilla, thank you so much for being on the show. It was really good talking about your development deals, just your mindset about transitioning, leveraging some of those skills that you have from the NBA and professional athletics into real estate. It was really good having this conversation. Thank you so much for our listeners tuning in today for today's episode of the Mogul Marathon Real Estate Podcast. Very excited that we had a chance to talk to you today and learn more about your business and what you're doing. So whatever that you do in real estate, just remember that real estate is a marathon, not a sprint. Run your own race. Thanks again, Shazilla. I appreciate you having me, Yannick. I appreciate you having me on. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.